Testing mean reversion characteristics of doctor efficiency measurement by Matan Abraham. So I know that medical schemes try to assess the relative efficiency of the quality and costs that doctors uh, charge them. And they do this by setting benchmarks that take into account the risk profiles of the patients that they see. And this includes the patient's ages, the clinical conditions they have, whether they're chronic or acute at that point in time, as well as their overall disease burden, how risky they are to the scheme. And then they use these uh, comparisons from the actual experience to these benchmarks to then set uh, provider networks and to enter into a kind of preferred provider arrangements where they pay them higher fees for their performance. Um, as well as peer-reviewing those outliers who are just way different to what the benchmarks indicate to try and understand why they are so different. So this presentation by Matan Abraham considers the consistency of these benchmarks and how the doctors compare to these benchmarks over time, um, looking at the mean reversion characteristics of, of the benchmarks. Hello everyone, thanks for, for joining me today. So, uh, as Matt said, um, I'll be talking about the benchmarking of doctors. Um, those of you in the healthcare space will be quite familiar with this. Um, it's a tool, a technique that's done predominantly by medical schemes and quite widespread around the industry uh, to do you know, a lot of you know, what um, Matt mentioned, which is assessing the relative efficiency of doctors against each other for a whole host of reasons. Um, from a decide whether how to remunerate doctors relative to, to one another, selective contracting, um, uh, to understand which ones are potentially doing poorly and need intervention through peer review um, and, things, and things of that, that nature. Um, and I mean, I, I work at Insight, which is an actuarial consultancy, and we do a lot of uh, this for our clients. Um, and this research was born out of a curiosity or more need to, to assure like our clients, but also you know, put that thought leadership out there to say that the tools that we're using, the underlying premises of why we're doing this work and how we're doing it makes sense. Um, and to provide credibility uh, to the outputs um, that are being generated from, from this tool. Um, so the, the underlying premise of, of you know, what, what uh, benchmarking relies on is that there is variation that exists between uh, the, the costs of treatment. Um, and there's variation between the best practices, uh, the, the treatment that's done by different doctors. Um, but it's necessary to, do, to understand that variation better, uh, to understand where the efficiencies lie, um, and thereby try to make systematic improvements uh, to doctor behavior, uh, saving costs, improving quality, things of that nature. Uh, but the, the question is, when we're looking at that variation, uh, is that variation just random? So will a doctor just do well in one year, or well in one period, bad in another, or are there systematic differences between what can be considered a good doctor, a high-performing doctor, and a poor doctor, uh, one that's you know, not meeting the, the same level um, of efficiencies as their peers are? The problem with it being random is that you can't trust the results. You could say, well, yes, we've identified what is considered a good or a bad doctor in a particular period, but ultimately, when we're trying to infer initiatives and trying to make those systematic improvements, 
um, as a result of those uh, findings, we can't be confident that you know it's it's worth our while because next time they'll just be you know next period they'll just be random fluctuations. Some will be good, some will be bad, and ultimately you know there's no reason, there's no purpose as to why we're doing what we're doing. So to for us we we obviously seen the success and the, the value of profiling through the work that we're, we're doing, but to illustrate that there are systematic differences between what is considered good practices, uh, practices or, or doctors um, and what is considered poorer doctors uh, from a performance standpoint, uh, that this is, is seen to be relatively stable over a period, stable enough that models can identify this and compare doctors against one another and then ultimately trust the results of, of uh, profiling and benchmarking tools. So the two parts of, of answering this question um, and to testing this hypothesis is to first look at the variation within a particular period to see that it's stable enough that models can be built and there's enough uh, homoscedasticity amongst the uh, the results and the shape of the, the variation is such that models can be built um, on, on a model to, to identify um, performance of, of GPs and then to go the next step and say, well, on a, a longitudinal nature, trying to understand whether, whether this uh, variation is of a nature that it's syst systematically stable enough uh, to infer results um, and to build initiatives going forward. So the data that we used uh, to conduct this research is based on nine schemes in the Insight universe. Uh, the schemes were chosen as they were uh, considered large schemes, uh, above 30,000 beneficiaries. Um, and it's because we're looking at medical scheme data, we're looking specifically at the private sector. So this is in the realm of private health insurance in South Africa funded by medical schemes, not by health insurers, and not, not, not the public sector side. Um, it covers the tr uh, specifically looking at GP profiling, so testing this, these hypotheses on the GP side um, and not looking at other providers, so specialists, um, hospital groups, pharmacies, um, etc. So, you know, we, we're looking at, at uh, general practitioners and for approximately 4,000, actually a little bit more, 4,300 GPs uh, were included um, in the data. And the combination of these um, nine schemes, approximately a third of the industry. Uh, the, the power of looking at or doing this research on such a, such a large, large body is that a common criticism of profiling um, in the industry currently is that it's done on a scheme-by-scheme a -scheme basis. Uh, this obviously provides a lot of frustration to doctors because they're getting multiple profiles from multiple different schemes, and that's, that's a separate issue. But the, often com the complaint is that the profiling or the benchmarking is done on, one, on a subset of their, uh, or of their patients, and they'll say, well, this is not representative of our entire universe of patients. While this will still be an issue to, with, to, with some GPs uh, that are included here, being able to include such a large volume of data across multiple schemes um, into, the, into the benchmarking of, of doctors reduces this issue uh, to as much an extent as we could um, uh, that with, with the data available and you're not having discovery data. So the, the methodology of, of 
performing this research was to actually uh, benchmark doctors against each other based on the data that we had. Uh, so how this is done, um, I think those of you that are in the healthcare space that deal with this will, will understand the concept of an episode of care. So what that is, it's the basic building block um, of the benchmarking exercise which says that a, when, when an individual or patient goes to see a doctor, an episode is started. That's the, the moment where you're engaging with the healthcare system and there can be accountability for the expenditure that arises from there then onwards to the GP to some extent. Um, so the idea is that the, the GP is responsible for care for a period and only you know, certain types of care uh, for a particular period. The idea is identifying that or creating an a, uh, algorithm to say that this is what the period of attribution or um, attribution of expenses will be, um, and then to uh, attribute the, the appropriate expenses um, expenditure to that GP, um, then aggregating all of these different episodes for all of the, the patients that the, the GP sees, calculating averages, and then building the scores on those averages. So that's the, the, the basics of, of the, the methodology. This can get very complicated uh, using tools like episode groupers and other things. Uh, we, I, for the purposes of the research, um, doing this on an academic basis, the, the idea was to try and make the methodology a little bit more simple than having a bit of a black box episode grouper approach. So constructed the um, episodes based on, there's, there's an initiation when you visit the GP, there's a 30 day window um, or the next GP consultation uh, for any other reason as opposed to, uh, as opposed to the initial uh, consultation that will end the episode and then attributing um, the costs um, accordingly within that period. Uh, there's a question as to whether, you know, what the period should be, so 30 days or longer. I mean, it very, very much comes down to whether the question of accountability, because as you extend the period, there's less certainty that costs can be assigned to that particular GP. Um, you know, making it shorter, you'll be missing uh, expenditure. So it's trying to find that balance. Um, and 30 days is, is, is a number that's used quite broadly in, in, in these type of algorithms, so that's what we chose. But we did test other, other window uh, periods. And then from an allocation of expenditure perspective, it's looking at the direct costs associated with the decision-making of the GP. So there's some expenditure that they won't, they're not accountable for. You go to um, a GP and then, you know, for a cold, uh, and then you go get your contact lenses within that window period, uh, those, that expenditure shouldn't be assigned to the episode, for example. Uh, you also go to a, a GP you subsequently go to a specialist and then get admitted to hospital, the hospital admission isn't directly responsible. It's, it's possibly under the auspices of what the specialist um, told the, the GP. So it's the idea is to identify what, what uh, is directly that the GP is directly responsible for. Um, and how we did this was in a combination of two ways. To look at the claim line data that we had and to see whether the ref either the referring doctor for that, that expenditure was the GP that initiated the episode. Alternatively, the ICD-10 uh, for that, that expenditure uh, was the, 
was the same as what initiated the episode. While this isn't perfect, and obviously depends on coding being accurate, and that is often a problem with regards to medicine uh, coding and uh, radiology and pathology uh, coding in particular, using of Z codes and other things, it's the best that we could do given the data that we had. Um, and because of this, we excluded dentistry and optometry because that's, you know, it just wasn't applicable. We also excluded chronic medication because chronic medication is quite unique in the sense that a chronic episode works quite differently. It's initiated at a point in time, it then kind of continues in infinitum um, until, I mean, the person either passes away or, or leaves the scheme. If we had done it in the same way, we would only really capture the expenditure that the individual had right, or like the scripts that they're getting, maybe to get repeat prescriptions and things like that. We thought that it, you know, it was too crude to include, so we excluded that as well. Um, and then we also excluded high-risk patients. So you know, oncology patients and others that could distort the results, uh, we removed just because it's, it's not really comparable and can create unnecessary variation in the results. So, you know, that's the, that's the overall like, type of methodology that we, we um, overall methodology that we approach with regards to trying to allocate the expenditure to particular episodes. Then the exercise went to aggregating all of those episodes for a particular GP, providing, determining the average direct costs for that GP in a particular period, and then generating scores uh, based on the quartile that that average cost fell um, with, and comparing GPs against each other in that way. A couple of additional methodological factors to keep in mind though were that, again, this is uniquely a utilization measurement, not looking at quality. So we chose to just focus on utilization because that, as a starting point to this research, it's easier to encapsulate um, you know, these, this metric as opposed to quality, which uh, is a little bit more complicated as to what the mean reversion behavior of quality metrics would look like, and also understanding true quality metrics from claims data is, is a challenge. Um, the analysis only looks at out-of-hospital expenditure because, I mean, the, the, while doctors do refer to, to hospital, it's, it's relatively rare. Uh, so, I mean, it falls more under the auspices of specialists. Uh, so we chose to exclude that from, from the analysis. Uh, an important methodological consideration was risk adjustment. Now, it's important to compare G GPs on a like-for-like -like basis as much as possible. From the perspective of the demographics of the patients that they treat, as well as the, for what diagnosis they're being treated for. So what we did here was to create a risk index um, for the bucket of patients or the group of patients that the um, GP is, is treating, allow for that based on age, gender, chronicity, um, the ICD-10 and the package of, of the patients that um, the, pa the GP was looking for, just for that, and that would go into uh, calculating the score as opposed to the absolute, uh, which wouldn't take that into account. For statistical robustness perspective, we made sure that there was a minimum number of uh, episodes that a GP saw to be included in the analysis. So this is to make sure that these are active GPs on the schemes that are being uh, looked at. Um, so what we said here was that if a, if a GP hasn't seen at least two patients per week, so 104 
that weren't 104 episodes for a particular uh, GP that they were excluded uh, from the, from the, uh, the benchmarking uh, results. And then finally, we removed casualty providers because they're a, a different a group and the, you know, things look quite differently. We did treat individual and group practices um, the same, which is a little bit of, a, of an issue because a group practices will have multiple uh, GPs um, working for, for them and each one could have intricacies. Um, what we, how we, uh, we, we allow for comparability, we are looking for at average uh, costs. So, you know, we, you know it's, it would be the average of the whole group of GPs that are being treated or are treating under that, uh, that group. Uh, but in future research, we'll be looking at um, allowing for the differences in individual and, and uh, groups separately and seeing if that's a potential risk factor. So, I mean, having gone through the methodology, the question now was actually dealing with the results. So, the f to answer the first question was, well, what does the variation look like within a particular period? Is it stable enough to actually build uh, profiling uh, models in a, in a meaningful way um, and that the distributional assumptions that are, are made when profiling, do they actually hold? Um, and what we can see is that, I mean, on a, on, the, on a summary statistic level, just looking at the coefficient of deviation, which is looking at how the variation of, um, of average direct costs for a practice on a risk-adjusted risk average costs, um, are, like how they compare to the mean, uh, the coefficient of deviation is low, which is showing that the, the, the variation is relatively contained, and it's stable across the, the period of of analysis, um, and then looking at the, the, the visualization of the five, five uh, summary statistics in the box, and the box and whisker plot, we see that the shape of the variation is stable over the period, which provides us conf enough confidence to say that we can actually meaningfully be building profiling models um, on this data, and to, to actually be confident that we can identify um, Efficiency. Just from, just from a, this is just the starting point to kind of check that box. Then the question is now moving on to the stability and the mean reversion characteristics. So we looked at this in three particular ways. Um, we started off with trying to think: what, like, Are there particular statistical tests like the Dickey-Fuller um, and um, the other exponent tests to look at? You know, if, is there a particular statistical metric that will? Uh, tell you whether, whether there's mean reversion or there's not. We thought that instead of this, given that there was a large volume of GPs that we're looking at, to infer it more visually um, and to assess the stability more visually, um, to 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 get a, to create meaning um, and to to be confident in that way that there's enough stability to infer um, if a future efficiency based on on current results. So the starting point that we looked at was. On annual benchmarks or annual benchmarking periods, so not on a quarterly basis, we saw that 52% didn't move throughout the period. So if you are in a particular score in, period in 2014, in 2015, 16, and 17, you didn't change your score. Um, and that gave us, as a, from a starting point, quite a lot of confidence that there is you know, enough stability um, there, just, I mean, just as a starting point. If we 
Sorry. Yeah, so if we looked at this for just a random process, if you looked at each GP independently, assuming that they were independent of each other, and each movement was independent from one another, that number would be 6.25%. Um, so it being 52% is far and away higher than that. And then if you're looking at quarterly benchmarks, uh, the, if you look at the number of, of GPs or the proportion of GPs that moved an average of once over the, the subsequent uh, f uh, 15 periods, um, only uh, it was 61% you know, moved very little um, over, the, over the 15 periods. So as a starting point, just from counts, uh, we felt that that was um, positive evidence um, of, of our hypothesis being proven. The, the, second, the second attempt of providing this evidence of this meaning and visualizing uh, this mean reversion behavior was to say, well, let's, let's pick a, a base period and see how the, the movement in the score happens um, over the subsequent uh, profiled periods. So we picked the, the average of, of 2014, so the average score that they got in 2014 as the base and then looked at the proportion that remained um, in each period, or in each uh, quartile or score in the subsequent period. So this is looking specifically at those, the highest performers. So they all started in the minimum to 25% quartile, so the top performers, and the, the strat stratification of their score over the subsequent 12 periods after 2014. And what we can see is that Firstly, that there's quick stability in the proportion um, that's, you know, that remain in, in, that, uh, in, that, in that score, um, and, and also that few move to the, the extremes, which is also, also positive. While there can be some fluctuations, some moving in and out of the, that score over the period, uh, we're, we are seeing that 73% of those that started in, as, as top performers ended in top performers. Um, and that's, again, uh, evidence, good evidence of what we're, we're trying to prove. Uh, did the same for those that are the worst performers. So those that, that started in the most, the, the, as the most poor, similar shape. When looking at those that were in the, inter, in the intermediate uh, uh, scores, so those that were twos and threes, there was a lot more fluctuation for these uh, profiles. Um, and you know the, the movement between them, but the fluctuation was far less than what would be expected if it was a random process. Um, again, providing us with enough evidence that while this subset does provide some fluctuation, the fluctuation is a lot around their current scores. So if you if you're a two going back, go to the high score at one or down to three, few very few going to the the worst um, score, and again. If you are a third, a lot going down to the worst, um, a lot improving slightly, but very few going to the, the highest performing category. Um, and then the final, the final view was to look at the magnitude of the score movement. So this, the previous two um, illustrations were around looking at the proportion that were in a particular category. Here was to say, well, let's take a step further and see the size of the movements. Um, and here we said, well, if you 
uh, move from, so say starting in school, uh, the high school, if you move either up or down, or if you're the high school, you can only move down, but say you move down, that's one. If you move down again, that's one. But even if you move up, that's also another one. So look, looking at the absolute movements over the period, um, for each of the, the cohorts, starting as the highest performers, the intermediate, and then the lowest performers. So the highest performers, it was, it was what we saw in the previous results, that the vast majority are staying stable uh, throughout the, the period, which is evidence of that stability. And, you know, another, you know, on top of the 46-ish percent, another 10 percent moving very you know, very min uh, minimally, and there's a little bit of a tail, but the maximum movements over the period were seven, which is relatively low. The intermediate performers uh, were, well, there was more fluctuation, and that's what we saw in the, the previous results. And then going to the, the worst performers, again, that, that mirror image of the highest performers, saying that the vast majority are moving li are quite, quite little, um, but there's, you know, and there's a relatively short tail. So, in conclusion, you know what we've what we've looked at here is trying to understand the the variation characteristics of profiling results to try and provide confidence that there's enough stability in the variation and that there's enough stability in the the shape of that variation over time to be confident that results uh, the profiling techniques and results um, that, and initiatives that are being inferred on these results are meaningful and providing value. And what we saw was that in particular the highest and lowest performers are staying relatively stable. So we can, be, we can have confidence that models are, will be able to identify those that are higher performing and those that are, are, are poorer performers um, and benchmark those against, um, against others. Those that are intermediate performance, there is, there is some fluctuation there, but less so than we would expect if it was entirely random. So overall being confident that when inferring initiatives on select, selecting uh, doctors for networks, uh, for understanding uh, financial incentives based on profiling and things of that nature, uh, that it's, an, it's a meaningful endeavor. And I mean, moving into an environment where network, networks are becoming a lot more uh, prevalent, a lot more important um, in the medical scheme industry. Um, I mean, this is a this is a very positive result. Thank you very much. Thank you, Matan. We've got uh, a little bit of time for discussion and debate. So, are there any questions from the floor? Can we get some roving mics there and there. Hi, there we go. Um, hi, Matan, thanks. This is very good. Um, it's nice to see that the results are actually what we expect. So it's a good thing to see. Um, I was just wondering if you took into account the geographical location of the doctors, um, as that would make it so. Yeah. So we have we have done that in in other forums and other research that we've done. Uh, we do understand that that is a significant factor when it comes down to the behavior of doctors and the results that we've seen. Uh, we did, in this case, looked at on a national spectrum for the schemes that we looked at, and we didn't dissect it based on geographical results, but 
it is a meaningful extension uh, to this work, um, and it's something that we do intend to do. Hi, thanks for the presentation. Um, I just have a question. Uh, were you able to validate the results? Let's say you've got high performance and low performance doctors, <clears throat> and let's say you're going, you're talking to the community of doctors that actually know how this doctor operates, that this guy is actually a high performer and this guy is actually a low performer. Yeah, so it's something, so not, not in this specific research. Um, I suppose the, on the question of identifying, like, the the more detail about a, a doctor, the focus is generally on the poor performers. So those that are really standing out, excuse me, um, as, as you know, outliers and performing very poorly, that additional engagement um, through a, a technique called peer review um, is done to understand you know, how their practice works, why they're, they're so out of whack. Um, and that is done on uh, the, the, very much on the scheme level, and schemes do that. Um, and it's something that, you know, a, a tool that we at Inside do provide or a service that we do, do provide to schemes. Um, on the high performers, I mean, that's, that is a, something that we're looking at internally from a perspective of trying to identify role models on taking this a step further from a benchmarking perspective and saying, now that we've identified those that are best practice, how can we look at those, identify them as the ones that are, like, should be emulated and trying to help the ones that are performing less so to get to their to get to their level, uh, but that's something that's in the works, and you know we haven't we haven't got to there. But it's very much sitting down to, with those providers, understanding how their practice works from almost a bottom-up approach, understanding what goes into treating their patients, how they treat their patients, why, and and then distilling that into some fundamentals as to what it means to run a, a best practice um, facility or you know GP practice essentially. And Janine, you had a question on that side? Sorry, in front. Thanks. Um, did you look at sort of multiple revisits, or is it just a cost analysis from on one episode? Because obviously we're worried they could be really cheap, but you have to mm. visit them three times before you're yeah, yeah. better. So, so, yeah, so that was the... So we didn't do the coordinator of care approach where you attribute, like say, there's, there's some more complicated techniques where you'll say, probably as you know, where this is their usual GP, so regardless of which GP you went to, we'll assign all costs to that GP. Uh, we did it on a claimant basis, uh, but we did allow for revisits. So if there was, if there was multiple revisits within that 30-day 30, uh, 30 window for the same ICD, it didn't trigger a new episode. Okay, it, was, it was included as a direct cost. Okay, great. Um, simple question. Are the risk scores calculated independently each quarter, so completely yes. disregarding the history? Yes. Okay. So, so there, there, are two, there are multiple techniques. Uh, you can do it on a rolling window approach, so where you include the, you know, the data from previous into, into the current uh, score results. I did this on a as and when. So if it was annual, it was done just for that, that annual period. If it was quarterly, it was just for that the expenses in that quarter. 
So, yeah, uh, Matana, I never got the list of prescribed questions that you promised me, so <laughs> I'm going to apologize if this is a bit off the cuff. Um, Thanks, I suppose you've, you've actually made a strong case for the way that you, you do the benchmarking. I mean, you've shown that, that, there's, yeah, that it's relatively stable. I suppose the next question is, uh, have you seen kind of a compression of the variation? Because the next question is, you know, does, does this tool actually work in terms of improving behavior? So I think that's the next question, whether you're seeing yeah. more, more movements upwards and a compression of those of, of yeah, the variation. Sure. Yeah. So, so this research was, was focused very much on looking at the characteristics and being confident that we can actually do this model, modeling in a meaningful way. A lot of that question kind of comes down to the initiatives that are built on top of that. So when you do peer reviews, when you do build incentives, surprising incentives based on these results, whether it then yields meaningful um, improvements in variation. Um, and that testing, you know, we, we, we see in pockets, but we haven't done it systematically and not, and not on a data set this size. Uh, but it is, it, I mean, it is, it is useful given the universe of data that we have um, to actually engage in that. Also because, because it's done on a very much a sporadic nature on a scheme by scheme basis, often like you don't know whether you're seeing the efficiencies meaningfully uh, just because you could, a lot of GPs could be hiding because like you're profiling one, but you're not profiling them on another scheme, and ultimately you know, the, fish, the fish, efficiencies aren't uh, transferring from one to another and things like of that nature. But we, we haven't done that work. I think, it, I think that'll be a great extension of I, this. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Matan. Um, just a question and a clarification on the, because uh, you said that uh, chronic medication was excluded from yes. the episode, and you also said that you focused on utilization rather than, qu than quality. Yes. Um, but what about the monitoring of a diabetic patient, for example, where you would expect to see regular HbA1c tests, and, sure. and, or, and I assume you've excluded the HbA1c test results, but what about the, is the test being done in the first place? Yeah, so I mean the profiling of chronic patients specifically is like a, it's an art in itself um, and it, it's almost like a, I mean the way that we treat is very much like, almost like a subset of like the, the full profiling that will focus specifically on all of those things and quality comes very much into that. That um, necessarily an increase in cost is not necessarily a bad thing if there's improved adherence. Uh, but that wasn't specifically taken into account. The, the reason why um, there was the removement of chronic medication is just because the nature of the episode for chronic patients is so different. And in order to include it um, in an analysis like this in a meaningful way, it would require having multiple definitions or evolving definitions for what that episode of care is, using something like an episode grouper, um, in order to facilitate that. Um, and if you do that, you can, I mean, you can extend this work in, in more ways than just that. Uh, but for the for the purposes here and for the, the subset of the profiling world that we were focusing on, uh, that wasn't incorporated. And at the back. Hi, Matan. Thank you for an interesting presentation. Um, I just have a question around uh, provinces. Um, so most people in the health would know that KZN is quite an outlier <laughs> province. <laughs> so um, I just like your thoughts around, around that. Did you find anything specific around that for the GPs compared to the rest? Yeah, um, so like, I mean, we, 
in the work that we do, that uh, that is that. I mean, it is often the results that we do find that there's more fraud and um, overutilization um, and you know things things of that nature. I mean, it, maybe it's not even it can't be specifically identified as fraud, but um, potentially there's evidence of that, and it often, often arises a lot in KZN. Um, but as a byproduct, there has been a greater scrutiny um, on that province. Um, and for a lot of schemes, trying to camp, clamp down on that. Um, so what we've seen, there has been improvement um, in, in KZN. Um, and I think by, the na the, by nature of these, tool, these, uh, these tools you know, working to some extent and that focus, like yielding the information um, and then the focus being put on provi problem providers. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it'll, it'll obviously vary from, from scheme to scheme. Um, and very much depending on the level of intervention and the managed care techniques of that scheme. So it's, it's not, I, I can't give you a systematic answer to that question. Just a question from my side, Matan. So the variability can be influenced by the attribution, which in your case is a very tight attribution of the episode of care. What is being measured in this case, it was just the cost efficiency, not looking at admission rate or referral patterns, and what risk factors you're adjusting for. So are you looking at extending this work further to say as you, you know, extend the attribution period or you change some of the risk factors, how that variability will change? So I think the, the most meaningful improvements um, will be on having that more robust episode of care um, and being, I mean, obviously applying this, so dissect, dissecting the results into seeing, well, now that we've, we, we're confident, confident with the stability of direct costs in general, looking at the subsets of costs, so whether, you know, when we infer results of profiling, say, chronic expenditure or, um, you know, the consultation expenditure, other things like that, medications, etc., uh, that we can be confident with those results and the stability of those results. Uh, but then specifically looking at the episode of care and using like tools like the episode grouper, which, you know, Insights recently built, um, and seeing how that affects the results. Um, and, and also trying to include the, the more qualitative um, data into profiling results, like doctor experience, things like location, um, you know more more of the detail around what the practice how the practice actually works um, and then adjusting for those as well because obviously that comes down to like the, for, there's always that example it's difficult to compare a a uh, GP practice in Santon to one in in say Woodstock I mean it just you know what what's considered best practices in, in the two places is completely different considering the, the construction of, of that practice. So incorporating a lot more of, of that type of information into, into the risk adjustment and into the methodology. I, um, just a very quick question. Did you take the benefit side of the equation into account because you used nine yep. different schemes, um, just the benefits that yeah, the guys so have access to? Yeah, so one of the risk adjustment measures was the, the option. Uh, so we did take into account uh, the, the package um, in the adjustment. It is, it is crude. Um, obviously, there is a, a challenge there because options do vary so considerably, uh, but it is the best that we can do given the, da the data that we had. 
another one from me, Matan. So I see you did uh, try and trim out the high variability conditions or high-risk members such as oncology. But I mean, have you thought about applying some kind of statistical sampling to various different conditions to seeing how variable each condition is and how it affects the overall rating of the doctor? So almost like a Monte Carlo simulation. Sure, sure. so no. Um, it is something that we've actually try to consider, I mean, across the tools that we're, that, that, I mean, that we build, like things like the DRG and the episode group, to test sever like severity in a more meaningful way. Um, and to, tr like, to make the, almost the stratification of what is considered risk, or the risk of a patient, as granular as we can. Uh, but in this, I mean, we haven't looked at that. I mean, sampling specifically, I mean, it's an interesting approach, something that we haven't um, really looked at, but we're looking at it, um, some machine t learning techniques and others. Uh, to try and solve that problem. Uh, thanks, Matsan. I thought it was interesting um, and well presented. Uh, just want to ask, similar to what um, Matt's mentioned on the risk adjustments, um, I thought there was a good point. But, but it's more a comment than a question. But for example, if you um, think of the things that are not in the data, like the risk factors that you don't see, that could be influencing the results as well, and that would make the results stable over time. Like for example, the same doctors would remain best or worst because they more or less see the same patients, and there may be risk factors in the data that we can't see or that we don't know of. So that's, that makes the stability question a bit difficult. And GPs could kind of argue that. They could say that there's things, in, there's things concerning my patients that you don't know, that are not in your data. So that makes it a bit tricky. Yeah, so I mean, for the purpose of this research, it was looking at the, st the stability of the results. Um, I mean, based on the information that we have, I mean, we're looking at claim line and demographic data, um, limited, data, as you say, on specifically the doctor's practice and potentially how it runs and you know, additional risk factors that may be in play. But in, in essence, we believe that if, and this is to be tested, but it would actually only improve the stability of the results. Um, while they can be a it can dictate potentially um, why, a, I, mean, a doct I mean, in some situations, a doctor can use it as a reason why it could, it's, it's poorer than it potentially is. We hope that if we do a better job at comparing like for like and, and adjusting accordingly, that actually the results that we'll see will only be an improvement in this ability and actually be even less fluctuation than we're currently seeing. While there will be some, some of the, the, bigger, you know, the bigger movements, we believe that actually, as, as Martin was saying, that you'll get the variation to be a lot tighter as opposed to it changing the results considerably. But it, it's again to be tested once we, once we have a, some more data and um, better sense of of episodes and things like that. I think uh, just following on from that question, your answer, have you looked at those movers, those, those guys who started off at the very low level and moved seven times within yeah. a period? And you know, do you have explanations as to why they did move? And is it something that the model needs to improve or whether it's something that the doctor's actually doing different over those time periods? Yeah, so um, they're, they're, we have looked at a number of, of those and we, we look at them often in the peer review context to, to see we, like when we're doing a peer review, has this been a consistent kind of tr like trouble, troublesome doctor, and is he 
is it always falling in the, the question of should he be peer-reviewed and intervened with? Um, and, and a big movement will require that question. Um, I mean, there's a range of things that can result. Um, and I think the incorporation of things like uh, removing um, or extending the list of what is considered a high-risk patient and removing things like that, um, and just, I mean, incorporating things like, um, like the, the type of, so, so for instance, an example would be he moves onto a network where he wasn't on a network, and that can create a big swing, so it'll change the demographic of the patients that they're seeing. Um, it could mean that um, potentially they, they moved offices or something, you know, something of that nature. Um, and, and often it can, it can mean like an identification of fraud. I mean, that they, I mean, for, not fraud in the broader sense, that there's just, you know, some induced supply. Um, but actually sitting down with doctors and trying to interrogate, um, I mean, that'll give you the, the true reason why that kind of stuff happens. So one last technical question for me sure. and then I'll leave you alone. So how did you deal with multiple doctors within that 30-day time frame where you had you, a patient saw two different GPs? Did you? Yeah, and so, then do you have some yeah. kind of like strength of allocation mechanism that you then apply? Sure. So um, going back to the previous question around whether re, you know, repeated um, as a readmission or not readmission but revisiting of doctors were taken into account. We did it for whether you're revisiting the same doctor. If you did see another doctor within that window, it did start a new episode. Um, that, that was the methodology that we chose and that's different from the coordinator of care approach where that'll remove that issue, where it'll say that we're, we're picking a champion, you know, your most used doctor and regardless of other GPs that you see in the period, um, the cost will be allocated to that GP. We felt like given the volume of data um, and try to identify the, the direct cost that the GP is responsible for uh, to, to initiate a new episode, even though it can truncate the size of certain episodes and you, know, you, you may be assigning you know, potentially some expenditure that was based on decisions from a previous doctor to a newer doctor, we felt that was the, the approach that we wanted to take. It is more, more a better um, accountability uh, methodology that we chose. I mean, that is, it came down to that. But we did definitely consider that. Okay, if we don't have any more questions, I think we can end slightly earlier and you can have a bit of a comfort break before the transfer to the, the final plenary. Thank you very much. Thank you.